Hello and uh, welcome to Amateur Radio Podcast. I'm Kevin, VK6 Lima Whiskey, and it's been a little while since uh, posted the last uh, episode, so I thought we'd just have a bit of a catch up on what we've been doing here at the station. Um, spent a little bit of time over the season on the low bands, uh, mainly on uh, 160, and a little bit of work on 80, and uh, had a lot of fun during the um, European and Northern Hemisphere winter months, so essentially our summer time, and some really good openings to uh, North America, um, the, the west of the USA, and uh, also into Europe. So it was, um, it was a good season, and worked a lot of uh, familiar stations, uh, tested out some various antenna formats, Come to some conclusions about the antennas and the experiments that we conducted. Uh, had enough QSOs to kind of figure out what the best configuration for the antenna was. And just to recap slightly with the 160mm antenna, we've been using an inverted L or an inverted V, I suppose, uh, with an off-center feed and a big um, ferrite 4 to 1 ballon at the feed point. Feed point's only about uh, 3 meters off the ground. And um, it's got a um, counterpoise um, arrangement, I suppose, with the off-center feed. The counterpoise is only about uh, 20 meters long, and the rest of the antenna goes straight up for about 95 feet and then um, out from the top point um, across, the, um, across the block of land here. So um, essentially, it's um, a half-wave uh, dipole for 160 meters, um, off-center feed, and um, the idea was to try and develop an antenna that would give me a mix of vertical and horizontal polarization without resorting to um, a massively large radial system. And also, I, in addition to this, I um, developed a, a stub switching system at the top point on the mast, so I could open and close that top um, section of the antenna electrically with a stub coax and some relays and that gave me the chance to check out what it was like just more or less as a vertical antenna or what it was like as a mixed horizontal and vertical antenna. And after much messing around and uh, testing, uh, the conclusion essentially was it worked better as uh, the full inverted V with the top electrically closed so I would get, I'd certainly get a mix of horizontal and get some vertical uh, radiation in there. And um, certainly in relation to the other locals around here that are using um, dipoles and that sort of thing, fairly high dipoles up around about um, 27, 28 meters, this uh, antenna seemed to work comparably well. I wouldn't say it was massively better or worse, it's more or less the same. Uh, there were occasions where I seemed to get better reports than maybe um, some others that are local, but then there's other occasions where they seem to um, be doing better than I was. And that actually really tends to be the, the way on 160. I don't think any one antenna is necessarily the best. Obviously, if you can put up a comprehensive vertical with a fabulous ground screen, and you've got an unimpeded uh, block of land without too many trees and a good takeoff and good ground conductivity, that's a pretty good option. But I'm not entirely sure over the years here, experimenting with low band verticals, whether or not the ground conductivity is really all that good. We've got a lot of rock up here, and it's not that easy to um, get down a, a decent ground system with all the rock, 
And we've got a lot of trees, and I've got a suspicion that the, the large trees we have here, which are all sort of more or less than 20 meters high, and a mixture of um, um, jarrah and um, like a red gum, like a, a gum tree. Um, and the area around our block is quite thickly forested as well. Um, quite close to the towers, uh, I think possibly that tends to break up the the near field of the signal and um, it's not entirely desirable. Um, maybe a flat um, area of land, um, good ground conductivity, uh, nice, uh, <clears throat> nicely, um, uh, nicely set up for a vertical uh, with some with some ground radials. That's probably, uh, in many respects, still a better option, but it's not achievable where I'm actually living at the moment. So um, the consensus is that well, this antenna is probably about as good as it gets. The other advantage that it gives me is by switching in a um, a, a stub section at the base um, onto the uh, switching stub that I have that goes to the top of the antenna it means I can also use it quite well on one eight um, sorry on 80 meters and so I've get I get two bands out of the one antenna and I could really switch it but I haven't really bothered at this stage um, if I've still got this antenna in place when CQ worldwide comes around at the end of November then I will definitely need to put in some sort of switching system uh, so I can switch it from the shack at the moment I go outside and I change a coax connector and that's how the switching is uh, achieved. So it seems to work pretty well on 80. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit later about the WPX CW contest this, a couple of days ago, and I had a chance there to use it on 80 meters, and um, certainly it worked fairly well. Uh, 80 is not particularly easy band um, when you're trying to work into the Northern Hemisphere summer, because there's a lot of, lot of lot more QRN in, in, in that area and the band openings are not so not so um, not so long so yeah it's um, it worked quite well from that point of view so yes yeah, quite a good season on 160 haven't been on for a, a, a couple of weeks now just um, been busy with other projects um, one of the um, one of the aspects that I've been trying to develop here is a is a better single operator two radio system and um, further develop that into a little bit more of the uh, two-band synchronized interleave QSOs, which is a, it's still single operator two radio, it's just that you're using the two radios to interleave the QSOs on CW. And um, that takes a little bit of practice, well, quite a bit of practice, um, and it takes another level of technical complexity, which I've tried actually to minimize as far as possible. I've, I've got the advantage of having quite a large block of land here, so I can configure receive antennas. Now I've already got two beverages. One runs um, to the US and the other one runs to Europe. And they're pretty useful, particularly on 4080 and 160. In fact, you can't really operate effectively on 160 without having some sort of receive antenna. Um, they also work pretty well on 80. I've experimented with the BOG, the beverage on ground. That kind of works okay up here as well, maybe because the ground conductivity is pretty poor. And the uh, BOG that I had running north was pretty good for JA. But I was keen to add a little bit more to the receive antenna capability because um, I've got um, the provision here on um, both of the amplifiers. Um, I've got expert um, amplifiers, expert 1K and 2K. And they've both got a provision for single operator 2 radio. 
um, capability. And the way it works on this particular amplifier, and I may have mentioned this before, is that when you switch from one radio to the other, it switches between the single operator two radio port, which is automatically um, linked to a receive antenna. So the radio you're transmitting on, you can be listening on the other radio, but the other radio will be linked to the receive antenna, and it switches back and forth. And this is kind of okay. It means you can operate single operator two radio with one amplifier. It does have some slight drawbacks in that you're not listening necessarily on the best antenna for that radio. Particularly if you've got, say, um, as I have a multiband spider beam with one feeder for 2015 and 10, well, you, you, you can't listen on one of, the other, um, one of the other elements or one of the other driven elements. So I've been working on developing some receive antennas for HF, not for, well, not for low frequencies, but mainly for HF, uh, that are uh, well, not necessarily as good as the spider beam or the, or the two element 40 meter beam I've got, or even the 80 meter antenna, but that are very good for receive, they're fairly quiet. And the main thing is to try and develop a situation where the, the receive antenna doesn't get too much interference from um, the main transmit antennas. So there's a, there's a limited, amount of, um, limited amount of interference from the transmit antenna to the receive antenna. Because obviously with single operator two radio, I'm trying to transmit on one radio and listen on another radio on another band. I'm not trying to do any in-band stuff at all. I'm just trying to work, say, you know, run on 40 meters and then run on 20 meters at the same time, or run on 40 and, single, and, and search and pounce on 20 meters. And to do that successfully, you don't want any interference on the radio you're listening on. Now, you, you're always gonna have a problem with the harmonic, but you can kind of get around that a bit because if you operate, say, the 40 meter signal uh, or the transmit signal at, say, um, 7030 or 7040 in the major contests, there's plenty of activity up there, and your second harmonic's gonna be up at um, you know, 14080. So it's gonna be well out the way. And then the only other problem you get is, um, is just um, RX front end overload. So um, this can be minimized, of course, with, um, with filters, bandpass filters, etc. Um, I was kind of trying to get away from that a little bit. Um, I have built bandpass filters here, they do work. Um, I've also experimented with quarter wave stubs. Yes, they do work as well. Um, one of the problems I've been having with one of the radios, I've got an IC7610, which is pretty clean on the output. And I've had some discussions here with my good friend Steve, um, VK6VZ, and uh, he's confirmed it's pretty clean. He's got an IC7610 as well. We can get pretty close in the band to each other, and he's only about three kilometers from me. But I've also got a TS590. It's about 10 years old and its output is not quite as clean as a 7610 and this becomes quite apparent when you're using them side by side and it's not a harmonic issue it's just it's just general tx transmitter hash which is pretty hard to block out with with filtering um, i spent quite a bit of time working through all the interconnecting leads the power supplies uh, with ferrites um, trying to isolate any sort of common mode type problems and um, I've got common mode filters on all the receive antennas, etc. But physical distance of the receive antenna to the transmit antenna is pretty important. So I've got these receive antennas now probably at least 100 meters away from the transmit antennas, and that seems to be working uh, quite well. Um, 
and the um, the main bands that I was really interested in for, for good receive capability was 20 meters and 15 meters. There's not a lot of action on 10 at the moment. There was actually some activity on 10 in the WPX and I could hear some of the Eastern Europeans and some JAs and some BAs, but they weren't really workable and it probably wasn't worth trying to break up a run on 15 or 20 to go and chase a few weak signals on 10, not in WPX. WPX CW contest has one multiplier for all bands. So once you've worked a, a VK6 on one band, that's it. You know, there's no more credit for a VK6 on other bands. So it changes the dynamic of the contest and um, I'll come to that a little bit later on. So the receive antennas, the best I came up with in the end, again after quite a bit of experimenting with various dipoles, bi-squares, verticals, loops, um, that sort of thing, uh, half squares, <laughs> quite a few antennas to, uh, to work through. The best I actually came up with for 20 meters was an extended double zep. Now extended double zep antenna is about, um, it's about 89 feet, so it's about 30 meters and it's fed in the center, and it has a short matching section uh, and about 10.5 um, uh, meters of um, 450 ohm matching section into um, 75 ohm coax, just a simple air cord choke at the feed point. And that shows the extended double zap if you, if you either model that with um, easy NEC or you look up the stats on it, it'll give you maybe 3 dBs going over a, a standard dipole and if you can get that up at around about um, um, 12 to, to, to 15 meters high, that's not a bad height. If it's high, that will help a little bit, but it, it, 12 to 15 meters is okay. That's you know, normally quite achievable. Uh, I've got mine sort of sloping a bit. Mine is, about, um, mine is about 18 meters at the top point and slopes down to probably around about um, 12 meters at the end point, uh, feed points in the middle, and I've got it orientated so the, 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 the main beam gain is towards Europe on the short path and the long path. Uh, in addition, and, and the, the other nice thing about this, it also loads quite nicely on 15 meters. So 15 meters, it's more uh, like, um, it's almost three half waves in length, and that will give you the classic clover leaf pattern. So you get four directions. And it's got a little bit of gain over a dipole, not a lot, maybe you know, 1, 1.5 dBs. It's a reasonably low angle, and uh, you get two bands to the price of one. It will also load on 10 meters, but um, the chances of actually using that constructively on 10 meters during the weekend were, were limited. And the other bonus with it, which I found, which was completely unintended, it's a pretty good receive antenna on 40 meters. It certainly cuts out a lot of the crud, and also it's a pretty good receive antenna on 80 meters. So, uh, not, not bad. Overall, quite, you know, some bonuses there. Really build it for 20, works on 15, could work on 10, and receives pretty well on, on 40 and 80. So that's the extended double set for 20 with an open wire feed line straight into 75 ohm TV coax. Now, um, and I only really finished working on that about two days before the contest. So I took a little bit of a gamble. I had a, a two element wire beam up in the trees about at about 40 feet height uh, to Europe only, not switchable. And that was actually quite good. Now I'm comparing, I'm comparing these, an these antennas on the low part of the block. So I've got a, I'm living on a sloping block of land and my two main towers, which are 
up at about um, 23, 24 meters high. Uh, one's got a spider beam on there and uh, two element um, switched wire beam for 40 meters for the USA. And the other one's got the um, a two element 40 meter beam switched for Europe, long path, short path, um, at, you know, the beams at that height. And I've got the 80 meter, 160 meter antenna above that at about uh, 27 meters. So, and these two towers are spaced about 15 or 16 meters apart, um, but they're on the highest part of the, the block of land. So the difference between the high part of the block of land and the low part is probably about um, 40 to 50 feet. So the receiver antennas are actually down quite a bit lower. And um, in all instances, I'm comparing these receiver antennas with what I can receive on the spider beam which is quite interesting because the spider beam at that height is three elements on 20, three elements on 15, and four elements on 10. It actually performs pretty well, and it's got quite a nice low angle of radiation. And the receiver antennas obviously don't have that, that, that same height advantage on the low part of the block and um, an extended double Z, and it's just a single wire, but it does have a little bit of gain. It's a collinear type setup. So um, overall, the, the, that was the, it was the best of the uh, receive antennas in terms of um, just general uh, receive performance. Um, being that far away and end on to the main transmit antennas, it's got pretty good rejection of the transmit antennas. I put another antenna up, which is a 20 meter dipole running at right angles to the extended double Z, also at about 40 feet. And that was really for JA and US short path. And that works quite well. There's quite a bit of difference between the extended double Z and the 20 meter dipole at right angles for the selected paths. So that's how I went into the contest um, this weekend. I've been doing a little bit of um, two band synchronized interleave QSO training. Uh, firstly on DXLog, which is quite a good program. It's a free program you can download. And I've been mainly for the last, I don't know, maybe the last, um, five or six years, I've mainly been using N1MM Plus. That's a, that's a nice program as well. Probably on balance prefer that. It's just a personal preference. Some guys really like DXLog. There's lots of, lots of people out there using older versions of computing logging systems that they've used from the start and that's what they've stuck with and that's just fine. They will do the same sort of job. But um, the latest versions of N1MM Plus have got full synchronization and, and um, uh, capability with uh, Morse Runner. And so you can load up M1MM Plus. It's got the Morse runner um, uh, built into it. And you can select that option. You can select single operator two radio. You can get a pretty good simulation running both radios um, in, a, in a synchronized interleave fashion. And it also takes care of the switching between headphones. So that's quite cool. So when you listen on radio A, radio B, um, or sorry, when you're transmitting on radio A, radio B is active. Um, you get both headphones on, or both ears on radio B, and transmit on radio B, you get both headphones on radio A. When you're receiving on both, you get a signal in both ears. That's exactly how you need it to be for this sort of operation. In real life, when forget about the simulator for a moment on M1MM Plus, in real life, I've got a switching box with some red lights and, and this capability, and it switches via the push-to-talk lines, and that's quite effective. Um, it's switching between uh, the two radios, uh, just uh, um, normal, um, when I switch from one radio to the other, the box, does, the box does everything. It switches quite effectively between the two radios and that routes through to the linear. And the linear's got a, a fast switching time as well. So yeah, the whole thing works really quite nice. It's taken a little bit of uh, working out and to try and do it with a, 
in a in a fairly seamless way. Developing the box was probably um, was the tricky bit in a way because there wasn't. I knew what I wanted to try and do. It was just a question of figuring out what was going to go in that box, and um, it's um, it's all relay based. It's not there's there's no there's no fancy uh, microprocessors in there or anything like that. It's a, it's just a, a standard box with relays and and a, and a switching logic associated with the push to talk lines. It seems to be pretty well bulletproof. I've run a few contests with that now. It certainly does. What I need it to do if I'm transmitting on radio A, I've got both ears on radio B and vice versa, and and I've got a manual switch on it as well, where I can manually switch from one radio to the other if I wish. If I've got a really weak signal and one ear is not enough, I can manually switch the other ear in. Um, there are times where, certainly from Perth, it's impossible to do effective single operator two radio with um, the interleaved QSO model, you know, with two pileups because it's simply not possible to get two pileups going on two bands at this stage of the sunspot cycle. When 15 and 10 come back, yep, it'd be a whole different story from VK6, but it's not, you know, bear in mind that most of the contacts from here are long haul, so you do get a situation sometimes where you're really having to dig a lot of weak signals out of the noise, and under those circumstances, it's pretty hard to, to, to do that mode of operation with the two radios, because um, you're, you're really having to concentrate your, your mind on one one um, one signal, and you don't want to you don't want to completely mess up your error rate by doing this. But when the bands are clean and the signals are good, and you've got good receive antennas, and you, it's really quite fun to be able to switch backwards and forwards between the two modes. It's a lot more run, fun running two radios um, these days with the fact that the computers do so much. You find if you just run a single radio, you're actually spending a lot of time just sitting there listening to your own signal. At least this way, when I'm calling secure on one radio, I can be listening on the other radio, I can be doing dual CQ, I can be doing search and pounce, or I can be trying to interleave QSOs. So, you know, frankly, even if it only adds five or 10 or 20% to your QSO total, it's really worth doing. And it's a bit of fun using the simulator to try and get better at this mode. Um, and you can't really get better unless you practice. So what I tend to do is, prior to the contest, I use the simulator quite a bit and during the year, if there's any other contests on, smaller contests, you know, there's lots of, there's the contests on just about every weekend. And normally they're 24 hour contests, CW contests, that sort of thing. So I normally try and get on in those contests and, and use both radios in this mode. It's non-critical, doesn't matter if I make mistakes, I'm not really active, you know, I'm not really competing in the contest, I'm just in there giving a few points out, trying to trying to put a few CQs out, get, get, a, um, get a get some runs going on both radios. At the moment, the, the two popular bands are 40 and 20, get a run going on 40, run going in on 20 into Europe, that's quite possible, conditions permitting. So um, that's been interesting, that's been an interesting development. Uh, I mean, when I started out in amateur radio and contesting maybe 45 years ago, <laughs> this wasn't really thought of. We, you know, some guys had a second radio and they'd use that for, they'd use that for a bit of single operator two radio um, and um, I think uh, I think computers have opened up a lot of um, aspects of this which make it possible to effectively use that second radio. So, um, but yeah, the, the, there's always been the propensity to try and use a second radio for something. You know, listen on another band, see if there's a, see if there's a band opening, see if there's a multiplier there. You know, see if you can actually use that other radio to, to good use. And uh, yeah, it can be a distraction, you know, it's, and it, it, it can certainly um, 
I would say looking at the, the scores, you know, the, the look closely at the scores and, and even the top operators, you know, it does, it does increase the error rate. And there's some fabulous exponents of this around the world now that are operating at an extremely high level, which most of us will never get anywhere near. They're, they're just, but they've been doing this stuff a long time. It's not like they just all of a sudden uh, became good at it. They were good to start with. And obviously, if you're a good operator, particularly on CW, um, in the first place, that's going to help you with to a transition for SO2R or, or synchronized QSOs. Um, it's pretty hard to do it if you're not a reasonable operator in the first place. Uh, you're not starting off a good base. But um, it makes it more fun. So either way, the, the hobby is about fun. It's not, not necessarily um, anything else. I mean, I, I do contests because uh, they're fun. Um, and they've, it's still got to be fun for me. I, I, I enjoy getting a good placement in the contest, but I've also got to be realistic. And VK6 Perth is not the easiest place to be contesting from right at the moment in this stage of the sunspot cycle. But I, I still enter and I still enjoy it. And it's it's still um, a great part of the hobby. And whilst I'm, I'm mainly interested in uh, CW, a lot of what I've done and a lot of what I do could easily be um, easily be transferred to you know an SSB type operation. Uh, lots of guys now with SSB voice keys and all that sort of thing. I, I'm kind of I dabble around in the SSB contest, the major ones when they're on, but it's just not it's not my thing. I, I really I'm a CW man. That's that's it. And um, same with some of the digital modes. I've dabbled around with those as well, but you know, I just keep coming back to CW. <laughs> so there we are. Um, so yes, and the other interesting thing has been with these RX antennas. I've been able to really closely monitor the difference between the IC seventy six ten and the CS five ninety. So the IC7610 is really a, a fairly modern transceiver. It's a, an SDR transceiver. It's got all the bells and whistles. It's got a pretty good scope. You can put it onto a big screen uh, the, you know, for the um, spectrum. And that's pretty useful. That's really useful in the contest. It's useful f to find stations. It's also use very useful to find clear frequencies quickly. And the TS590, as I say, it's about 10 years old. It's a pretty good radio. There's really nothing wrong with it. And the receiver on the TS590, I can't really separate that from the 7610. The only thing I would say is the 7610, the filtering's better. I said the front, I would say the front end's a bit more robust. And um, but in terms of sensitivity, they're, they're, they're both about the same. There's not not really anything you can hear on the 7610 that you can't hear on the 590 on the HF bands. But the range of filtering on the 7610, the range of operator aids, including the um, spectrum display, well, that's, that just leaves the 590 behind. That makes the 590 look a bit old-fashioned, really. But as a, as a basic radio, the 590 is pretty good value. And um, they've got the 590 SG out now, which I think is, they've improved a few things. There's a problem with the 590 uh, on, the, on the transmit side with an overshoot when it, runs a, when it pushes a linear, it tends to create a bit of a spike, and that can send some linears into sort of overdrive and shut down and whatever. And I don't think they ever really solved that problem for the 590. There might have been a mod, but in the end, I didn't really bother. I found it kind of found a bit of a workaround by backing off on the carrier balance. But um, I think on the 590 SG, I think they fixed that problem. So the 590 SG is probably a, a better radio. They don't sell these anymore in Australia. If I need to buy one of those, then I need to get one from the States. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm upgrading and I'm getting rid of the 590. I'll be able to sell that, I would imagine. Pretty good radio, and uh, I'll get another IC7610. So when I do the single operator two radio um, 
uh, arrangement. I've got at least I've got two radios that are the same, got the same buttons. I've got to think twice about what this button does or what that button does because they're both sitting there, they're both the same. And pretty certain that I'm going to end up with not so much problem with the interstation interference because the 7610, as I mentioned earlier, is it seems to be a lot cleaner than the, the 590. So um, in terms of trying to run them, you know, both together. So yeah, that was uh, that's where we've really what's really been doing the last few months. Um, the WPX contest. I mean, some of the efforts we've been making in the last few months have really been for the WPX to try and improve things here. And I would say that well, we have improved things a little bit. The conditions weren't too bad on the weekend. They're probably very similar to the last two to three years. I mean, the flux was pretty low. The flux was down around about 70. The bands were quiet. There's I think there may have been a slight flare on the second day, but generally speaking, the bands are quiet. Um, 40 meters was the go-to band, and there's a good reason for that, and that is that all QSOs on 40 meters uh, count for double points. So instead of us getting three points for working a JA on 20 meters, we get six points for working the same JA on 40 meters. So if you've got a good 40 meters set up, it helps. And I've got the two two-element switch beams um, two separate feed lines and I can switch them Europe long path short path and US short path long path and they, they were pretty handy and they work well and it, you know again I was working stations in Europe three four hours before their um, sunset on um, on both days which is which is pretty good that was into Europe and I've got a good takeoff to Europe it's ground slopes away it's quite nice so um, that that worked well 20 meters was sort of okay it wasn't anything fantastic. Um, I think I only made about 380 QSOs on 20. The band openings were okay, but they weren't all that long. And 15 meters, I didn't do too bad. I did better on 15 actually this time than, than last year. And some of that's probably down to the two radio. I was, I was operating on 20 and 15 at the same time. So any short openings on 15 I was picking up on. And I think that helped. Um, I think I had about 220 QSOs on 15. I mean, it, it, 80 meters is also very good. I, I think I, I had a couple of runs on 80 on our, at our sunset time. Sorry, sunrise time on both uh, mornings. And um, short runs, but I probably worked about 80 QSOs on 80 meters. And again, double points on 80 because it's low bands. And 40 was a standout band. It was uh, had over 1,000 QSOs on 40. So my score was uh, quite a bit up on last year and the year before, which is, I say, similar sort of conditions in terms of the cycle. Um, the uh, and I'm not quite sure what other scores were made in Australia. Certainly, there's a couple of big scores made it down in New Zealand. Um, uh, Jackie ZM4 or ZM1A, he, um, he he put in a score of 10 million, which is a fantastic score. Uh, he made um, most of his QSOs, QSOs on 40. He had 1600 QSOs on 40 meters, which is fabulous. Not many on the other bands at all. But he didn't really need to. With, with that amount of QSOs on 40, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And, um, and also um, uh, ZM4T, Holger, he, um, he made about 8 million, which again is a terrific score at this stage of the sunspot cycle. I, I, you know, it's completely different geographically. I mean, New Zealand is, um, to fly to New Zealand from Perth is seven hours of flying. <laughs> so it's not close. Uh, it's not really comparable, but it's in the Oceania region. And we kind of know these guys. And... Um, and they've done really well. They're, they're fabulous operators. They've got good stations. They know exactly what they're doing. And I think on 40 meters, there's a possibility that they get the same sort of advantages that the Scandinavians get in the Northern Hemisphere winter, where in our Southern Hemisphere winter, 
New Zealand is a lot closer to the, the grey line path and it's quite possible that 40 metres was open for a good part of that 48 hours. Um, in the WPX you can only work 36 hours anyway. So if you take out the, um, the rest periods, then you know, technically speaking you could spend most of your time on 40 metres working double point stations if you're in New Zealand. You can't quite do that in Perth. The, the band's not really open for um, maybe, um, uh, well during the middle of the day, it's not, it's not open for really intercontinental QSOs, that's it. It's, uh, but I'm gonna check with these guys, find out exactly you know, what the band openings were down there. If I look at the gray line map, that's what I'm, I'm suspecting. I'm thinking, yeah, they could probably, with a decent antenna, decent location, probably access that gray line uh, for a lot longer than I can on 40 meters. Um, where things will change is when we get some sunspots, um, then I can use my uh, really good um, takeoff to Europe on 15 and 10 as, a, as, a, as an advantage. And that's what I really need. I need, I need some sunspots in this contest with the way, the, uh, way it's set up. So um, see how we go. Um, the sunspots are coming. I think cycle 25 has started officially and looking forward to the next few years and um, continue working on the station continue trying to, to improve the, uh, the operating and uh, continue trying to improve the antennas. And I've got a few ideas for that now. I've got a few ideas before CQ Worldwide, which is a completely different contest. And obviously it's different uh, scoring, different multiply setup and uh, different uh, strategy required. So probably that would be my target over the next um, five to six months is try and just change a few things around. Might, might actually turn the 40 meter two element beams into 40 meter three element beams and try and get a little bit more gain and maybe a lower angle um, on 40. Um, and I've got a new tower, well it's not a new tower, it's a second hand tower, but it's a 30 meter tower and that will replace uh, one of the um, uh, 27 meter towers that I've got here that's about 40 years old. And um, it's still okay, but it's, uh, it's shown a bit of wear. And um, although the um, replacement tower I've got is not new, it's in much better condition than the, the, the existing tower. So that's a fairly major job. The, the new tower, I need to change the winch system, I need to change the wiring, I need to change the pulleys. I need to just beef the whole thing up a bit to make it a bit more rugged. We get some fairly high winds up on the hills. We've had some fairly big storms go through Perth recently uh, with um, high winds. And so far, um, so good. Uh, both towers withstood all of that. All the antennas withstood the storms. Um, they're um, possibly, um, the second tower I put up is a little bit more heavy duty than the first tower. Uh, and they're both towers a guide. And um, maybe in some aspects, you know, they're, they're over-engineered and that's not a bad thing. And <laughs> it can help sometimes. So, a little bit of antenna work coming up there. A little bit depends on how much spare time I get. It's not the only thing going on in our lives, but um, really enjoy that aspect of it. Enjoy designing and building the antennas uh, with a view to uh, trying to improve the performance in, in the next contest and um, just generally speaking, have some fun on the bands. So uh, put the log in uh, last night. It's a fairly easy process these days. Um, loaded up the... Uh, summary onto 3830 scores and had a look around on there. Some, there's some pretty impressive scores, particularly from the Northern Hemisphere. And again, you know, some fabulous operators um, in great locations putting in these scores. So WPX contest, good contest, serial number exchange. Uh, that makes it a little bit harder than CQ Worldwide with the zone exchange. 
uh, puts a bit more emphasis on the accuracy. Generally speaking, the error rate can be a bit higher in that contest because if you if you don't get the serial number correct, well, that's going to cost you points, going to cost you QSOs, that sort of thing. So it's always an interesting contest to see um, compare the um, claim scores with the um, the finish scores, so to speak. And most people know that you know you can't obviously operate a contest and well some 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 logs come in as they call it a golden log, I think, where there's no mistakes. But if you're making a substantial number of QSOs under all sorts of band conditions, it's really hard to do that, obviously. So we'll see um, we'll see how it works out this year with the log checking. Always an interesting one. So that's about uh, that's about the wrap up for the moment. Um, I've got a new email address if anybody wants to contact me with any questions. That's uh, vk6lw, so that's vk6limawhiskey, uh, .kev, that's k-e-v, at gmail.com. So vk6lw.kev at gmail.com. And you can send any questions through to there. Um, I may be working on a bit of a website for the podcast. Uh, I've got a few ideas for that, just haven't really got around to doing too much with it but um, might get that sorted out and uh, keep, uh, keep a bit more up to date with uh, some of the, the progress here on the station. So for now, 73s, um, have fun on the bands and we'll see you probably in the next contest. Thanks again.